The Outsider by H.P. Lovecraft. The night Baron dreamt of many a woe, and all his warrior guests with shades and form of witch and demon, and large coffin worm were long be nightmared. Unhappy is he to whom the memories of childhood brings only fear and sadness. Wretched is he who looks back upon lone hours in vast dismal chambers with brown hangings and maddening rows of antique books, or upon odd watches in twilight groves of grotesque, gigantic, and vine-encumbered trees that silently wave twisted branches far aloft. Such a lot the gods gave me, to me, the days, the disappointed, the barren, the broken, and yet I am strangely content and cling desperately to those sere memories. And when my mind momentarily threatens to reach beyond to the other. I know not where I was born, save that the castle was infinitely old and infinitely horrible, filled with dark passages having high ceilings, where the eye could find only cobwebs and shadows. The stones in the crumbling corridors seemed always hideously damp, and there was an accursed smell everywhere as of piled up corpses of dead generations. It was never light, so I used sometimes to light candles and gaze steadily at them for relief. Nor was there any sun outdoors since the terrible trees grew high above the topmost accessible tower. There was one black tower that reached above the trees into the unknown outer sky but that was partially ruined and could not be ascended save by a well-nigh impossible climb up the sheer wall stone by stone. I must have lived years in this place, and I cannot measure the time. Beings must have cared for my needs. Yet, I cannot recall any person except myself, or anything alive but the noiseless rats and bats and spiders. I think that whoever nursed me must have been shockingly aged since my first conception of a living person was that of something mockingly like myself yet distorted shriveled and decaying like the castle to me there was nothing grotesque in the bones and skeletons that stowed some of the stone crypts deep down among the foundations i fantastically associated these things with everyday events and thought them more natural than the colored pictures of living beings which I found in many of the moldy books. From such books I learned all that I know. No teacher urged or guided me, and I do not recall hearing any human voices in those years. Not even my own. Although I have read of speech, I never thought to try to speak aloud. My aspect was a manner equally unthought of. For there was no mirrors in the castle, and I merely regarded myself by instinct as akin to the useful figures I saw drawn and painted in the books. I felt conscious of youth because I remembered so little. Outside across the putrid molt and under the dark mute trees, I would often lie and dream for hours about what I read in the books, and I would longingly picture myself amidst the gay crowds in the sunny world beyond the endless forest. Once I tried to escape from the forest, 
But as I went further from the castle, the shade only grew denser, and the air filled with more brooding fear, so that I ran frantically back, lest I lose my way in a labyrinth of nighted silence. So through the endless silence I dreamed and waited, though I knew not what I waited for. Then in the shattery solitude of my longing for light grew so frantic that I could rest no more, and I lifted entreating hands to the single black ruined tower that reached above the forest into the unknown outer sky, and at last I resolved to scale the tower, fall though I might, since it be better to glimpse the sky and perish than live without ever beholding day. Twilight, I climbed the worn and, and aged stone stairs till I reached the level where they ceased. Thereafter, clung perilously to small footholds leading upwards, ghastly and terrible, was a dead, stairless cylinder of rock, black and deserted and sinister, with startled bats whose wings made no noise. But more ghastly and terrible still was the slowness of my progress. For climb as I might, the darkness overhead grew no thinner, and a new chill, as of haunted and vulnerable mold, assailed me. I shivered as I wondered why I did not reach the light, and would have looked down if I dared. I fancied that night had come suddenly upon me, and vainly groped with one free hand for a window embrasure that I might peer out and above and try to judge the height which I obtained. All at once, after an affinity of awesome, sightless crawling up that concave and desperate precipice, I felt my hand touch a solid thing, and I knew I must have gained the roof, or at least some kind of floor. In the darkness, I raised my free hand and tested the barrier, finding it stone and unmovable. Then I came to a deadly circuit of the tower, cling to whatever hold the slimy wall would give. Finally, my testing hand found the barrier yielding, and I turned it upwards again, pushing the slab or door with my head as I used both hands in my fearful ascent. There was no light revealed above, and as my hand went higher, I knew that my hand was for the nonce ended. Since the slab was the trapdoor of an aperture leading to a level stone surface of greater circumference than the lower tower, no doubt the floor of some lofty and capacious observation chamber, I climbed carefully through and tried to prevent the heavy slab from falling back into place, but failed in the latter attempt. As I lay exhausted on the stone floor, I heard the eerie echoes of its fall and hoped when necessary to pry it open again. Believing I was now at a prodigious height far above the accursed branches of the wood, I dragged myself up from the floor and fumbled about for windows that I might look for the first time upon the sky and the moon and stars which I have read. But on every hand I was disappointed, since all I found were vast shelves of marble bearing odious oblong boxes of disturbing size. More and more I reflected and wondered what hoary secrets might abide this high apartment, so many aeons cut off from the castle below. Then, unexpectedly, my hands came upon a doorway, which hung a portal of stone, 
rough with strange chiseling. Trying it, I found it locked. But with supreme bursts of strength, I overcame all obstacles and dragged it open inward. As I did so, there came to me the purest ecstasy I've ever known, for shining tranquility through an ornate grating of iron, and down a short stone passageway of steps that ascended from the newly found doorway was a radiant full moon which I have never seen saved in dreams. I dare not call memories. Fancying now I have obtained the very pinnacle of the castle, I commenced to rush up the few steps beyond the door, but the sudden veiling of the moon by a cloud caused me to stumble, and I felt my way more slowly in the dark. It was very dark when I reached the grating, which I tried carefully and found unlocked, but which I could not open for fear of falling from the amazing height to which I had climbed. Then the moon came out. The most demonical of all shocks was that of the abysmally unexpected and grotesquely unbelievable. Nothing I had before undergone could compare to the terror which I now saw. With the bizarre marvels that sight implied, the sight was as simple as it was stupefying, for it was merely this. Instead of a dizzying prospect of trees seen from a lofty eminence, there stretched before me, on a level through the grating, nothing less than the solid ground, decked and diversified by marble slabs and, and overshadowed by an ancient stone church whose ruined spire gleamed spectrally in the moonlight. Half conscious, I opened the grating and staggered out upon the white gravel path that stretched away in two directions. My mind stunted and chaotic as it was, still frantic craving for light, and not even the fantastic wonder which happened could stay my course. I knew neither nor cared whether my experience was insanity, dreaming, or magic, but it was determined to gaze upon the brilliance and gaiety at any cost. I knew not who I was, or what I was, or what my surroundings might be, though as I continued to stumble along. I become conscious of a kind of fearsome, latent memory that made my progress not wholly fortuitous. I passed under an arch, out of the region of slabs and columns, and wander through the open country, sometimes following the visible road, but sometimes leaving it curiously to tread across the meadow, where only occasionally ruins bespoke the ancient presence of a forgotten road. And once I swam across a swift river where crumbling and mossy masonry told of a bridge long vanished. Over two hours much have passed before I reached what seemed to be my goal, a venerable ivied castle in a thickly wooded park, maddeningly familiar, yet full of perplexing strangeness to me. I saw that the moat was filled in, and that some of the well-known towers were demolished, whilst the new wings existed to confuse the beholder, and what I observed with chief interest were open windows, gorgeously ablaze with light, and sending forth sounds of the gayest revelry. Advancing to one of these, I looked in and saw oddly dressed company, indeed, making merry and speaking brightly to one another. I had never seemingly heard human speech before. 
and could guess only vaguely what was said. Some of the faces seemed to hold expressions that brought up incredibly remote recollections, others utterly alien. Now I stepped through the low window in the brilliantly lighted room, stepping in as I did for my single bright moment of hope to my blackest convulsion of despair and realization. The nightmare was quickly to come, for as I entered, there occurred immediately one of the most terrifying demonstrations I've ever conceived. Scarcely had I crossed the still, where there descended upon the whole company a sudden and unheralded fear of hideous intensity distorting every face and evoking the most horrible screams from nearly every throat flight was universal and in the clamor and panic several fell in a swoop and they were dragged away by their madly fleeing companions many covered their eyes with their hands and plunged blindly and awkwardly in their race to escape overturning furniture and stumbling against the walls before they managed to reach one of the many doors the cries were shocking as I stood in the brilliant apartment alone and dazed, listening to their vanishing echoes. I trembled at the thought of what might be lurking near me unseen, as casual inspection of the room seemed deserted. But as I moved to one of the alcoves, I thought I detected a presence there, a hint of motion beyond the golden arched doorway leaning to another in somewhat similar room. As I approached the arch, I began to perceive the presence move more clearly, and then, with the first and last sound I ever uttered, a ghastly undulation that revolted me almost as poignantly as its noxious cause, I beheld in full, frightful vividness the inconceivable, indescribable, and unmentionable monstrosity which it had by simple appearance changed a merry company to a herd of delirious fugitives. I cannot even hint at what it was like, for it is a compound of all that is unclean, uncanny, unwelcome, abnormal, and detestable. It was a ghoulish shade of decay and antiquity, and desolation, the putrid, dripping edelon of unwholesome revelation, the awful bearing of which the merciful earth should hide. God knows that it was not of this world, or not longer of this world. Yet to my horror I saw, in its eaten away, bone-revealing outline, leering, abhorrent travesty on the human shape, in its moldy, disintegrating peril, an unspeakable quality that chilled me even more. I was almost paralyzed, but not so much to make a feeble attempt towards flight, a backward stumble which failed to break the spell which upon the nameless, voiceless monster held me, my eyes bewitched at the glassy orbs which stared fearsomely into them, refused to close, though they were mercifully blurred and shooed the terrible objects, but indistinctly. After the first shock, I tried to raise my hand to shut out the sight, yet so stunned were my nerves that my arm could not fully obey my will. The attempt, however, was enough to disturb my balance, so that I had to stagger forward several steps to avoid falling. As I did so, I became suddenly and agonizingly aware of the nearness of the carrion being, whose hideous, hollow breathing I half-fancied I could hear. Nearly mad, I found myself 
yet able to throw out a hand to ward off the fetid apparition which pressed so close, when in one cataclysmic second of cosmic nightmarishness and hellish accident my finger touched the rotting, outstretched paw of the monster beyond the golden arch. I did not speak, but the fiendish ghoul that rides the night wind shrieked for me, as in that same second there crashed down upon my mind a single fleeting avalanche of soul-annihilating memory. I knew in that second all that I have been. I remembered beyond the frightful castle and the trees, and recognized the altered edifice which I now stood. I recognized the most terrible of all, the unholy abomination that stood leering before me as I withdrew my sullied fingers from its own. In the cosmos there is a bomb, as well as bitterness, and in that bomb is Nepenthe. The supreme horror of the second, I forgot what horrified me, and the burst of black memory vanished in chaos of echoing images. In dreams I fled from that haunted accursed pile and ran swiftly and silently to the moonlight. When I returned to the churchyard place of marble and went down the steps I found the stone trap door immovable. But now I was not sorry, for I had hated the antique castle and the trees. Now I ride the mocking and friendly ghouls of the night wind and play by day amongst the catacombs of Nephren Ka in the sealed and unknown valley of Hadoth by the, by the Nile, and know that the light is not for me, save that of the moon, over the rock tombs of Neb, nor the gaiety saves the unnamed feast of Necris beneath the great pyramid. Yet, in my new wildness and freedom, I almost welcome the bitterness of alienage. For although Nepenthe had calmed me, I know always that I am an outsider, a stranger in this century, and among those who are still men, this I had known ever since I stretched out my fingers to the abomination within the great gilded frame, stretched out my fingers and touched a cold, an unyielding surface of polished glass.